0: But this morning, as we begin our message, I want to begin with a verse from, from 1 Peter 5, verse 8. And this is uh, on the screen in front of you here. I want read these words. Be minded Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Keep your mind clear. Keep your eyes open, Peter says. The devil is on the prowl. It's a great thought, isn't it? Not, uh, not exactly the kind of verse that you greet someone with first thing in the morning, right? I mean, morning, Matt. The devil's out to get you. It's not usually how we do things around here. Words, I want to ask you, do you believe these words? This summer, we've been learning about what it means to follow the way of Christ, how Jesus invites us into a radically different way of living as we participate in his kingdom that he has brought here into this world. And while we've mostly been in the Gospel of Mark for this this series, this morning we're going to look at that New Testament reading that we had just a few moments ago from Ephesians about an important aspect of following the way of Christ as we put on the armor of God. Because not only, as we read in that verse, there is the devil real. But there's a battle going on. And you and me, we are warriors. Listen to these words again from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, these words are written by a pastor named Paul to a, a church in Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus. And at the end of, end of the letter to this church, the sermon to this church, he, he adds these words here. He basically says, look, I've told you lots of things throughout this letter, but I want to end with this. Be sober-minded, keep uh, your eyes open, because the enemy is not simply flesh and blood. It's not simply what we see, but the enemy is evil itself. Paul wants us to grasp this idea that when we see horrible things in the world, and we've seen some of those things lately, that it's not just humans being humans, but that there's a spiritual dimension to all of this. Now, in our modern Western world that we all live in, the the worldview that that we tend to operate on, the belief that we like to have, is that everything we, we encounter like this has a natural cause and a scientific explanation behind it. That the evil that we see in this world really isn't evil. It, it has some sort of a psychological or physiological or sociological explanation. And if we can understand that, if we can investigate it and, and learn enough about it and find the, the root of all those causes, well, then, then we, can, we can get rid of it. And we can make all those you know, so-called evils go away if we try hard enough and we just get smart enough about it. And yet what I would offer to you is that despite the 150 years or so that that worldview has dominated our culture, where everything that we see has some sort of a natural cause and scientific explanation, people are beginning to doubt that in our world. A man by the name of Andrew Delbanco of Columbia University wrote a book a few years back in the 90s called The Death of Satan. And this is the first line from his book. He says, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. So in other words, what he's saying is you know, many of us, we see these evil things in the world. We, we see all this stuff that's happening in the world. We see it happening in our families. We see it happening inside of our own hearts. And, and our ability to make sense of why that is, is, is falling apart to make the leap of, of why in the world are these things happening. Now, in this book, he turns to another famous book, a novel, by the, by the name of the, the Silence of the Lambs, which was made into quite possibly the world's most creepy movie, right? And, and he highlights this moment in the, in the novel and in the movie where Officer Starling, as she's investigating this, this series of murders, and she goes to meet with this Hannibal Lecter guy, uh, she starts to learn about all the horrible things that this guy has done, and she's talking to another officer, and she says, "What happened to this guy to make him so twisted?" And Hannibal Lecter hears that, and he asks, and he hears her ask that question, and he says, "That's a mistake, Officer Starling." It's hard to hear those words without Anthony Hopkins' voice, right? He says, "That's a mistake. Nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened." You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up belief in evil for a belief in behavior, and as a result, nothing is at ever anyone's fault. Look at me. Can't you even admit that I'm evil? And what Delbanco says in his book is that modern people no longer have the ability to answer the monster's question. We no longer have the ability to say, yes, there's evil in this world. We read the news on our phones every morning, and what we've said for the last 150 years about all the horrors that we see, that they have these scientific and social causes, but that answer is ceasing to be satisfactory for us. Maybe there is, after all, some big cosmic forces of good and evil in this world. Now, Delbanco says, as modern people, we're having a really hard time reconciling all the evil we see with the belief that it has this natural cause. As We know our worldview doesn't have that problem. The Christian worldview recognizes evil. The Christian worldview recognizes that Satan is real. The biggest lie that Satan tells people is not that they should follow him, but that he doesn't exist. And, and that there's no such thing as him. And that by buying into that, we we believe that all the surface stuff that we see is is just all that there is. That's that's the real thing, is just the surface stuff. And we begin to think, oh man, the biggest battle that I'm facing is is my relationship with my girlfriend. And so I I go online, I I, I desperately download a bunch of podcasts on relationships to try to fix that battle. Or the biggest battle that I face is my finances. And so I break out Excel and I make a budget and I, I craft a way out of that enemy that I'm in. Or my battle is, against, is with my health. And so I cut out carbs and I do cardio. And what Paul is saying here is that those things, those things are important, but they're not the only thing. They are symptoms of a deeper underlying problem. Behind every struggle are two things. Human sinfulness, which rebelliously screws things up. And evil itself, which tempts and lies and stirs things up. The real battle is not with our relationships, our debt, or, or our weight. Our battle is w- between you and evil, evil itself. And if you are a baptized member of God's family, then your task is not to just see yourself as a mom or as a student or as an engineer, but to see yourself as a warrior. That's what Paul tells us here. Your task is to not just see the the social and the scientific causes which are real for those problems around you, but, but to also engage with and understand that there is a larger battle happening with evil and your own sin. Now Mark Twain once famously said that when it comes to the devil, we shouldn't pay him reverence, but we should respect his talents. We don't want to ignore the reality of evil, but we also don't want to obsess over it. We know we can kind of go go wrong off either side of the road there. So here's, here's what I think is a healthy attitude to have towards all of this, that we are to live fully aware but absolutely unafraid lives. Lives fully aware that there are forces of evil at work in this world all around us, but to also be absolutely unafraid of its powers. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 8. This is Paul, the same guy, writing a letter to a different church. And he says in verses 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's point here is this, that evil exists but God is stronger and Jesus is king. Evil exists, but we have to remember that God is stronger, Jesus is king, and through Jesus' death on the cross and his powerful rise from the grave three days later, Jesus has firmly secured your place in the Father's family, and he has put on display his power and his strength over and against every other power in this world, including the powers and the forces of evil and sin in this world. And now, nothing can pull you away from the Father's grasp. So is there evil in this world? Yes. But is it going to come and snatch you out of the Father's hand? No. It can't do that. The cross and the empty grave were a decisive victory. And, and although evil exists in this world, and although Satan prowls and tries to cause problems, one day when Jesus returns, Satan is going to have to lay down his weapons and be stomped out for good. Until then, we must be wise, we must be aware. But because of Christ, we refuse to live. You following with me so far? You following along here? Now, not only is evil in comparison to Jesus powerless but God also promises to array you in all kinds of protection and that's really the big point of what Paul is saying here in Ephesians he he continues on I'm picking up here in verse 13 therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now Paul uses this very vivid imagery to talk about how we are protected from the powers of evil. Now, we could dye we so could oh much rich imagery there and, and metaphor that he uses to talk about all those pieces, but, but here's the, the one thing that sticks out to me this morning. In verse 13, who does Paul say that this armor belongs to? He says it belongs to somebody, but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. It's God's armor. It's his. I'm sure you've seen pictures before of, of little kids dressed up in their parents' clothes. I found this picture from from way back in my history of uh, my dad was a fireman and so trying on my dad's firefighting uniform there you can tell that does not exactly fit like it's supposed to and this is kind of the image that, that Paul is painting here of this protective gear that is not our own that it's God's it belongs to the father he puts it on us and because it's his because he puts it on us it's huge right This is not made for us. It's not a shield that just kind of protects you, you know, from from your waist up. It's a shield, right, that you can stand behind that protects your whole body. It's not a helmet that just covers your head, but like covers your shoulders as well. This is an enormous protection that he puts around you. You are completely covered by the armor and the power of God. And the armor and the power of God is the work of Jesus Christ that forgives your sins, that made you his child and secures your future. You are completely covered by that power. Which means the only power that evil has in your life is the power that you give it. Power that you give to it when you decide to stupidly step outside from behind that protection and invite problems. Like when you abandon truth by entertaining some idea that you know to be a dangerous lie. You know, it's it's just drinks with a friend, a friend that I kind of find attractive, but it's okay. My wife won't find out about it. Or when you decide to, to put your faith and your trust in something other than the promise of Jesus. You know, I, I grew up in the church, but But who needs God? I'm good enough, right? And after all, if if God is God, then why does all this bad stuff happen in the world? Why Why are there earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and Adam Sandler movies? Where is God after all? And to be honest, a lot of us do that, right? We flirt with stuff that we know is dangerous, that we know we shouldn't do. And then we wonder why our life is taking all of these hits and our faith taking all of these hits. It's because we refuse to stand behind the protection that God gives to us. So you might be thinking, you know, there's, okay, there's, but evil is defeated, God, God is powerful, God is king, and we've got God's protection, so I, I've got that. But if it's a battle, what's my weapon? What do I fight back with? Well, it's interesting in all those things that Paul lifts off, that there is only one offensive weapon that he tells us. God gives his people just one offensive weapon. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, at first, that might seem a little odd. You know, God only gives us one weapon, and it's not a real fun sounding weapon, right? But you have to remember how evil works Satan is subtle. He doesn't show up in a a red suit with pitchfork and flames all around him. Satan is, is subtle. Here's how evil works. Evil tells you lies. Evil tells us lies. For Satan, those lies are about two things. They're about truth and trust. Because his goal is to get as many people as possible to buy into any truth, whatever it might be, that pulls them from their need for Jesus or to get them to put their trust in anything other than Jesus. And so he whispers into your ear lies that th- distort your view of, of something like money or possessions. And so you think that those are the ultimate thing, and you try to get more of those things. Or he, he tells you half-truths and, and tempts you to, to like leave your family. You, know, you just really need to be happy. You got to do what it takes to make you happy because you, know, you deserve that. Or he, he tempts you to, to, to doubt the grace of God. Could God really forgive that? His grace is big, but, but for that, that, that seems too much. And he hammers away, and he chips away, tempting you to step out from behind that armor, behind, out from behind the grace and the power of Jesus. And so God gives you his word primarily so that you can spot a lie and you can remember God's promises for you. In fact, God's word is so powerful that when you wield it, when you correct or encourage a friend or comfort a family member, when you try to just clear your own head by by remembering the truth of God, the evil has to stop in its tracks and run in the other direction. Any other method of, of fighting evil It's like taking a squirt gun to a five-alarm fire, right? It's not going to do anything. That's why when we're facing a difficult situation or struggle in our lives, one of the best pieces of advice that we can be given and that we need to remember in those moments is that we need to get close to God's Word and God's people. We need to get close to God's Word so that we can remember the truths and hear clearly from His Word the truths that God tells us that dispel those lies. And we need to get close to those people who know God's truth, who can speak God's truth into our lives so that we remember that and live in that. We need to get to know and get close to those who know what Jesus says because he says, my words will destroy lies and they will stir up hope within you. I want to continue here in verse 18. Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In the middle of life's battles, we not only have protection, but Paul encourages us to something else very important to utilize the gift of prayer. Paul says there's a battle going on. Never stop praying for yourself and for other people. Now, now, why would he say that? If, if God's word is the weapon of choice that God gives to us, then prayer is how we request reinforcements. It's how we send for help in this battle. And now I understand for, for some of us that if the answer is prayer then that really it feels like an unsatisfactory answer right it feels like a bit of a cop-out but I would argue that prayer is only a cop-out if you don't actually do it if you don't actually believe and and have the guts to to really pray I'd argue that most of the time if when people say you know my, my prayers just never seem to work they never seem to do anything that if you were to really press into them that that you'd probably see there's not a whole lot of prayer going on. Here's the reality. There's a battle going on around us. And some of us in this very room are taking hits right now. Some of us, you know, we're, we're hurting. Some of us are, are doubting God's goodness. Some of us are, are flirting with powerful lies. Some of us have anger that's just boiling up inside of us, and others, others are carrying a deep, deep sadness or sorrow. Now, this might seem like a bit of a silly question to you, but have you prayed about it? Have you lifted that up to God? Have you asked him for help in this battle to send reinforcements? Or on the flip side, if someone that you know is going through a difficult situation or is bought into a powerful lie in their life, are you praying for them? Are you you asking the the power of God into that situation for them? You know, we often say to people that that my thoughts are with you. And I always want to say to that kind of in the back of my mind, like, what on earth good is that going to do? I think about all kinds of stupid stuff throughout the day. You don't want my thoughts. What I need is your prayers. I need the power of God that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. I need that power in my life, and I need you who believes in that power to use that gift of prayer, to call on that power into the situation so that evil could be pushed back, that I would remember what's happening, that that evil is defeated, and that God is at work in this situation. We need to be people of prayer. Do you believe that? There's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. Where in your life do you see that battle being waged? Where in your life are truth and trust flipped upside down? Is there someone that you know who has bought into a lie? Have you been walking around living in fear? What what is it in your life where you see this battle being waged? Now answer me this. What are you, church, going to do about it? been said that the greatest gap in the world is not the span of an ocean, it's not the the, distance between the rim of the Grand Canyon. The greatest gap in the world is the gap between what we say we believe and our actions. We believe that there is a battle going on and that we are warriors. We believe that evil is prowling but you are protected. We believe that we have the power of God and that God hears our prayers and God answers our prayers. May we not just believe that, but may we live that. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the armor that you place on us. That it's not armor that is ours, but armor that is yours. Armor that is all-encompassing for us, God. Armor that is greater than anything that we could ever possess on our own. But Lord, you give that to us. And Lord, as we fight this battle around us against evil, help us to see that evil is real, but that we have the power of Jesus that raised him from the dead. That we fight not for victory, but from his victory. Lord, give us Give us the the strength to pray, to draw close to your word and to those who know your word, that we could wield that weapon in the face of Satan, knowing that we stand on Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.